Now, I see also this is a good news story because Jesus canceled death's claims and commanded this young man to live, literally commanded him. If you look at verse 14, uh, you'll see here, he came and touched the buyer, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, here's the Lord speaking to him as if he was alive. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. It, it's just like Lazarus. It's just like Jairus' daughter, the command to live. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, and I hope that little clip there will stay, keep you staying with us as we get to the message on raising Jairus' daughter. The, the sheer number of miracles which the Lord Jesus performed in his ministry was really a national phenomenon. Uh, there was hardly a man, woman in Judah that did not uh, have direct or indirect evidence of Jesus performing miracles. Either they saw it with their own eyes, or they observed people who had been healed and helped, or even raised from the dead by the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine after uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, uh, the crowds of people wanted to see him. They wanted to witness this man for themselves, the one who had been in the tomb four days, who was uh, under the very uh, decay of death, and now walking alive, back to normal. This was phenomenal, and it shook the nation and indeed prepared it for the news of Jesus' miraculous death and resurrection. It ought to have been no uh, totally surprising thing that the one who raised others from the dead had himself come out of the tomb and was truly alive. It was the message that really led the foundation for the gospel. And today we're going to get to that as we uh, get into raising Lazarus' daughter. We also have a hymn today, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Sweet Hour of Prayer, that takes me from a world of care. How good it is just to take our burdens to the Lord and leave them all with him. I, I trust that you will be able to do that today as we minister the Lord's word to you. Here now is our opening thought today on the book of Romans and the question of the term righteousness. This is a key term in the book of Romans. It has appeared 39 times in this epistle. And if we don't grapple and understand the, the meaning of this word in all its fullness, then we really don't get the message of the book of Romans. The Greek word dikaios, D-I-K, A-I-O-S, means righteous or just, and it is in that manner an adjective, the description of a person who is upright and considered to be innocent. God is righteous. It's a descriptive word of God's character. Angels are righteous because they don't sin and they have never sinned. Adam at first was created righteous in a righteous state, and he possessed perfect holiness with no sin laid to his charge. The Christian is made righteous or declared to be righteous before God. 
The next Greek word is diakusuni, and it means righteousness. This now, of course, is a noun. It is the name for God's provision. The English word for righteousness would be right-wiseness, God's right way of accomplishing man's salvation. The purpose in the gospel, of course, is to justify sinners so that they may stand before God as sinless and without condemnation. It answers the age-old question of how shall a man be justified before God? How shall a sinner stand in the presence of God? And the gospel is God's power and wisdom applied to this problem. It is God's right wiseness. It means the right ways of God. Now, I'm, I'm emphasizing all of this over and over because it's so vital. And as one said, that uh, until uh, we understand the nature of this righteousness, we'll never understand the gospel. The gospel is the righteousness of God provided or the right wiseness of God at work. It means all the standards of God's law and personal holiness. God has done it the right way. All other ways are the wrong ways. The Oxford Dictionary states that righteous means the law-abiding way. It is important to get a clear idea of Paul's use of this term righteousness, for it controls the thought throughout the epistle. Uh, the Lord Jesus set up a higher standard of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount than the scribes and the Pharisees. And that proves that this word was properly used by the Lord and, of course, by the Apostle Paul himself. So this is a God kind of righteousness, the righteousness that God has and the righteousness which God bestows. And so when I say that I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, it means that I am saved, justified God's way, and that I have that provision of righteousness for my salvation. I, I hope that this is of help to you and that you will take this to your own heart and thank God that there is a righteousness that covers the sinner and makes us perfectly right in the sight of a holy God. May the Lord bless you today through his word. And it tells us here that he had compassion on her. Nobody said anything to him. Nobody invited him to do anything. The woman didn't even, I'm not even sure if she would have recognized him, but the Lord spoke to her. Weep not. Now the Greek word for compassion here is that that big long word for bowels. And it, it, it really talks about the, the depth of compassion and sympathy which the Lord truly had in this situation. And we ask, does Jesus care? Does he really, really care? Do we have a friend in this time of need? And this is a good news story because it shows, shines right into the heart of our Lord. It lets us see what is in him, that when he is confronted, and he was confronted, such was the, the merging of these two processions, 
Such were the details that they came, they met at that gate, and the Lord, well, he just didn't stand back aloof and say, I, I don't care. No, he looked at that weeping woman, and he had compassion on her, and he said, weep not. Now, this is a life situation example of, of the great doctrine that we learn of in the Bible of the sympathy of the Lord. And we talk in, in Hebrews 4 about uh, the Lord is able to succor us in any time of need, and that we may uh, He is such an high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace and to help in time of need. And this is Christian doctrine. In the book of Hebrews, it's a doctrine. Jesus became man, and he understands human issues. He understands human needs. But we still have to ask and wrestle with the question, is this sympathy, this compassion, is it real? Or is it just professional? Or is it just doing the right thing to be seen, to be fitting into the culture? Is Jesus really like that? And when I'm in trouble, and when I am in a dark valley of my life, will I find the Lord will have compassion and display His grace to me? Does Jesus care? What I want you to do tonight is to take your hymnal, because we have, in Christian writings and doctrines and teachings, we have reams and reams of literature about this kind of thing. There's more poems, more little hymns written about, you know, the sympathy of Jesus. Now, we're going to turn to the, the hymn number 56, 56, and this is a hymn by William Cowper. God moves in a mysterious way. And I want to encourage you to always study the hymns of William Cowper. They have such depth of comfort. They don't gloss over, you know, they, they just nice pretty little words and rhyming words. There's a depth of real meaning in Cowper's hymns. God moves in a mysterious way. Now, it is said that he wrote this hymn, which was his very last hymn before he died, at a low point in his life. He had struggled with depression for many years. And the story is told that before he wrote this hymn, he was going to the Thames Bridge to end his life. He was so distraught with himself. He saw no hope, no light, and there was such a disturbance of his peace that he just was going to end his life. So he went out on an evening in the dark, in a London fog, to go to that bridge and just end his life. He got a cab, which would have been a horse and cart, and asked the driver to take him to the bridge. Now, there's two versions to the story. One is that the fog became so thick that they never found the bridge, or that the cab driver 
realized what he was going to do and just went around in circles for a while and dropped him off at his own door. Of course, the fog story would be more appealing to us right now. But either way, either way, William Cowper was a deeply troubled man. And that night, God in his providence stopped him from ending his life. And he returned home, and he wrote this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform, he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. And what wisdom, what counsel there is in that line. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. And I tell you that in this world and in this life, you may get to that place where you just don't feel right with God. That happiness and contentment, that peace of heart is, is torn from you. And whether it's circumstances or whether it's illness or it's drugs, in our age, one of the great issues is Christians that start taking prescribed drugs. We're not talking about illegal drugs, but strong medication for various health needs. And it does wild and weird things. And it can disturb their peace of mind and heart. And when we start judging God by our feeble sense, we're going to go right down into despair. But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. These words from the pen of William Cowper, they, they put into hymnology, and we sing them. But it tells us that our Lord Jesus is gracious and unchanging. He doesn't change when our circumstances change. And the thing that gets into our minds, the lie of the devil that gets into our minds in such a time is that because I am going through this and because I'm facing that, God is no longer caring for my soul. And we end up reading the sense of providence and situations rather than the love of the Lord. Even in our blackest moments and hours and days and months, God is watching over us. Can you explain that in any other way than that Jesus is always on time and loves to save his people from their troubles? Can we go to the poor soul who has broken every law in God's book and say, I know you're troubled, and I know you have no answers, but, but the Lord does. The gospel does. When I'm talking about bringing the, introducing him to the Lord Jesus, I'm talking about book, chapter, and verse, gospel ministry, and says, look, here's the promises of the Lord. As in Matthew 11:28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. And to that troubled heart, you become a minister of the Savior's grace to their souls. I, I talked this morning about the, the teenager facing an abortion, or maybe has gone through an abortion. What an awful state to be in. And it's happening all around us in our society. It's happening. It's under the table in the sense that abortion is so freely available now that a young girl who has an unwanted pregnancy is encouraged, directed to go that way, but she's got to live with herself. And what regret, what sorrow, even suicidal tendencies come to those that go that way. And it's then we need to be able to say, Jesus cares. You've broken his law. You've sinned against God. You have hurt your own child. But the gospel is still real, and the Lord can save you. Now, I see also this is a good news story because Jesus canceled death's claims and commanded this young man to live, literally commanded him. If you look at verse 14, uh, you'll see here, he came and touched the buyer, and they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, here's the Lord speaking to him as if he was alive. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. It, it's just like Lazarus. It's just like Jairus' daughter, the command to live. And here, of course, is the great parallel of the gospel, because sinners are dead in sin, totally dead spiritually, and unable to turn to God. And of course, rigor mortis sets in. There's no life. There's no brain wave anymore. The heart is gone. Everything is lost. Death reigns. And of course, the gospel is the power of the Lord calling sinners into new life, new life in Christ Jesus. So it's a great good news story. Now, there's something here that says the Lord touched the beer, B-I-E-R, however we pronounce that, buyer or beer. But it was not a coffin in the sense of the Western world where we have closed coffins. It's more like a stretcher. And the body may have been wound in certain ways or embalmed in certain ways, but they just carried it in a stretcher, like two poles with a cloth in between. And so the body was lying on a stretcher. And when the Lord came and touched that and commanded him to arise, well, he just sat up. He just sat up. The result is absolutely fascinating. Verse 15, And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Began to speak. And then the Lord, in his love for the mother, it says right there in verse 15, he delivered him to his mother. He didn't call him to be his disciple, because his mother needed him. And he had a, a future, and she had a future, where he was needed at home. He wasn't called away to follow the Lord at that time. Do you know the worst problem that day? The, the poor undertakers, they had the worst day ever. What? You've stolen our corpse. We have to cancel the funeral. It's over. 
and the Lord delivered the boy to his mother. All his faculties restored. This is the miracle of it all. A boy dead, whatever hours he was dead, rigor mortis had set in, a stiff corpse. And he just sits up, he speaks, and he goes back to his mother, and they go home. You think of the hugs, the caressing, the joy, the amazement. He had a new mind, able to speak, all the faculties restored. And again, we can draw the gospel parallels. When you get, become a Christian, you get a new mind, you get a new heart, and of course, you get all the new spiritual faculties. We are a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And God sends us home to serve. Now, in verse 16, we're just going to follow through on the story here. There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his kingdom. Now, there's a Jewish tradition that says that only God has the keys to the clouds, the keys to the womb, and the keys to the grave. Well, here they had just witnessed the power of the Lord that he had the keys to the grave and could set this dead man free. And we know tonight that our Lord Jesus has the keys of the kingdom. He is now at the right hand of the Father. He's given a name above every name, and to him is given the keys of the kingdom. And one day he's coming again, and he's going to multiply resurrection after resurrection. Oh, what will it be on the resurrection day? It will be a new good news story when our Lord raises men up. And I'll not go to the passage in 1 Thessalonians, but I read there that the Lord will descend, and he will descend with a shout. The same voice that called Lazarus out of the tomb told Jairus' daughter, Talitha Kumai, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And the same voice that said to this widow of Nain's son, young man, I say unto thee, arise. The same voice will speak the command that will bring every one of his saints out of the grave. What a resurrection day there will be when Jesus comes with a mighty shout to raise his people from the dead. And we that are still alive will be joined together with the Lord in the air. What a resurrection day that will be. It's a good news story all the way through. And when you and I go to a graveyard, and when you visit perhaps a grave of a loved one, let this gospel sink in, that that grave one day, one day shall open, and that body will be raised. And that graveyard that is now probably full up will be emptied. Not a soul will be left. The wicked will be raised up to the judgment. The righteous, the saint, will be raised up to meet the Lord in the air and given new bodies with a shout and the sound of a trumpet. It's a good news story. And we tonight are bearers of that good news to a dying world that needs the gospel. May this thrill our hearts.
There's not a situation in a hospital bed, in a, a, a uh, funeral home, a graveyard, that this gospel cannot uh, meet the need of weeping souls and troubled hearts. And maybe tonight you fear death. And when you ponder the, the hour of your death, you tremble. Let me tell you, Jesus can save you. And he can raise you up on that day triumphant over the power of death. Are you saved? Are you sure of it? Are you absolutely certain if you died tonight that it's a good news story because you're a Christian, because you have met Jesus in your life? That has to happen. You have to meet the Lord. And if you don't meet him here, you'll meet him in judgment. You need to meet him here in grace. Bend the knee. Call on the Lord. And may you be brought to that place of surrender. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 
58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.